God is so good. Just love that refreshing uh, feeling of his presence this morning. It's like caffeine. It's like my coffee. I miss the flavor of the coffee, but I'll take, the, I'll take that wonderful, refreshing spirit. It's probably better for me anyway. Um, this morning, I'd like to begin uh, with, I'm going to describe a few famous people in American history. He was an American automobile manufacturer who determined to build a simple, reliable, affordable car that the average American worker could afford. He built the Model T and created the assembly line in 1908, both innovations that revolutionized American society. His company sold millions of cars and became a world-famous business leader. His name is Henry Ford. This man is regarded by uh, most as one of the NBA's greatest basketball player of all time. Now, just because I'm talking about a sport doesn't mean I have anything, I know anything to do about it. Uh, So I really had to go to the internet on this one. He was on the Olympic basketball team at one point, uh, the dream team. He won six titles with the Chicago Bulls. His name is Michael Jordan. Had to say it like I was in, in one of his games. Because um, I never was. So, uh, this one happens to be a female. She was an American author, political activist, and lecturer. She was the first deafblind person to earn a Bachelor's of Arts degree. The story of her and her beloved teacher was made famous by her autobiography, The Story of My Life, titled The Story of My Life. In her birthplace in Alabama, there's an annual day of celebration named after her. She is Helen Keller. So these are stories of people who, are, uh, gone, who have gone down in history as pretty great. Uh, uh, Pastor Stephen this morning talked about greatness. Um, their stories are inspiring to the human soul. And what makes these stories so impressive and inspiring to us? It's not necessarily their great possessions. Um, or even the successes that they had. Um, If you're familiar with some of the stories, several of you knew exactly who I was talking about before I even said the name. You might be familiar with some of the details of their stories and their lives, but all of them faced some pretty impossible obstacles that they had to overcome in order to be these people that went down in history. Um, And I selected a couple of inspirational quotes from each person if A.V. has that ready, um, to show behind me, they'll show. Sometimes I think it's, it's neat to read along with me. Oh, well, that's, that's scripture. That's inspirational, too. <laughs> that's the title. I don't know if they have my slide. Um, the first one was from Henry Ford. Speaking of, about obstacles, he said, obstacles are those frightful things you see when you take your eyes off the goal. Michael Jordan. <laughs> Obstacles, <laughs> I was not a good basketball player either. Obstacles don't have to stop you if you run into a wall. Don't, uh, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, 
or work through it. And then Helen Keller says, you will find a joy in overcoming obstacles. Now that sounds counterintuitive, uh, but that came from Helen Keller's probably someone who's faced obstacles that, uh, to uh, great lengths that none of us would really be able to even understand or identify with. So you probably notice that most of, uh, that these quotes I've, I'm speaking about this morning all have that word obstacles in it. Um, each of these individuals faced many obstacles in their lives, and they had a choice to either let it stop them or to forge ahead despite them. You know, you don't become one of the most innovative minds like Mr. Ford without returning to the drawing table again and again and again until that design for the Model T was just right. You don't become one of the most successful NBA uh, stars by giving up after the first or the second or that third loss, game loss. In fact, I think I read on the internet Michael Jordan had about 300 losses over his career. It was over several years, so it really doesn't seem like that many anyway. But, um, you know, each loss, I'm sure, to someone who's an expert in their field, that's hard to take. Um, and you can't be the change in the world that you want to see like Helen Keller unless you're a living example that the obstacles that people assume you can't overcome are, in, you in fact, overcome. You know, as I said, her story is so amazing that there's hardly any like it in history that's quite like her story. So now I'd like to turn our attention to a story in the Old Testament about one of Israel's leaders. Um, it's a fair, fairly familiar story. It's often taught in Sunday schools. It pops up. Juliet's got a little children's uh, Bible storybook, and they highlight different stories. It's not necessarily just uh, a Bible verses, but it highlights little stories. His story is in that one. This particular Bible character sounds pretty impressive, just like the names that I mentioned. He sounds pretty impressive when, when described. <clears throat> Get my announcer voice. Son of Joash, from the tribe of Manasseh, a military leader of Israel, a judge, a prophet. Those are all impressive titles. He was a prophet for the Lord. He was called by God to lead the Israelites to victory over the Midianites, who were a group of vagabonds, basically, that treated God's people pretty poorly. For many years, they stole, they ravaged, and they destroyed the Israelites' land and crops, kind of targeted them, found where they were, ran in there and ransacked. Um, this Bible character led uh, a small army into victory over a much larger army that Scripture describes was as thick as locusts and too numerous to count. There were so many military men in the armies. His story is recounted in Judges chapter 6 through 8, and he's the man that went from zero to hero. <laughs> uh, he was a wheat cutter, someone who, you know, cuts down wheat. He went from wheat cutter to military leader. Even after his military victory, the end of his story, um, as scripture says at the end of his story that throughout the rest of his lifetime, which was about 40 years, there was a peace in the land. Um, he was regarded as one of Israel's best and greatest leaders, 
He's even listed in the famous Hebrews 11 chapter that we call the Hall of Faith. His name is Gideon. Gideon. That's right. His name is Gideon. Um, And that's who we're going to focus on this morning and talk about as we look at Judges chapters, uh, his story in Judges chapter 6. What I'd like to do this morning is to use Gideon's story to demonstrate this truth, this New Testament verse. Um, That's my main scripture for today. Jesus speaking, it's in Matthew 19.26. Jesus speaking to his disciples said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Um, I liked how it was in the, that was the NLT. I liked the King James. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen. Let's say that all together again, that last part. With God, all things are possible. Amen. You guys sound as good when you say uh, scripture like that as when you sing. Um, Gideon's story is recounted in the books of Judges, book of Judges, chapter 6. And chapter 6 begins with God's people, the Israelites, uh, crying out to the Lord because they were tired of suffering at the hands of the Midianites and other enemies like them that came and attacked their land and their cattle and their crops and left them with nothing but to starve. Scripture says that they were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves. They hid uh, in mountains and caves just so that when, when the Midianites would travel through, they wouldn't see them. They wouldn't, you know, they'd hide their goods and their crops and their cattle so that they wouldn't uh, steal them and destroy them. God had given the Israelites over to the Midianites um, for seven years, Scripture says, because they had turned away from him once again. Uh, as we know, it's a pattern of the Israelites in the Old Testament, and, and, and the Israelites were worshiping other gods around them rather than the one true God that they knew and had brought them out of captivity so many times before. So God sends them a prophet that reminds them why they are in the place they're in, um, because they would not listen to him. Then God sends his angels to Gideon's home as he's working out, he's cutting wheat, it says, the scripture says, and, and for food, and he's hiding it away, he's hiding from the Midianites, because Gideon's, you know, also afraid of them finding him and seeing him and seeing what he's doing. And so reading out of chapter uh, 6, verses 12 through 18, I'm going to take you there now. Chapter 6, verses 12 and 18 of Judges. Um, I'd like us to pay attention to this interaction that we're going to read between Gideon and the Lord through an angel that the Lord sent to Gideon. Verse 12, it reads, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. You remember what Gideon was doing when the angel of the Lord came to him? Hiding, threshing wheat. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with strength, the, the strength you have, and rescue Israel 
from the Midianites. I'm sending you. That's quite a response to what, what uh, Gideon was just telling the Lord about. Aren't you the one who abandoned us? And the Lord says, go with the strength you have. Rescue Israel from the Midianites that I'm sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So wait for him to make him sound like a loser. <laughs> the Lord said to, him, uh, said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. That's a pretty high promise there. Remember that the, the armies of the Midianites and, and others that were attacking the, the Israelites um, and gave them so much trouble, the scripture said it was just as far as the eye could see. That's how many they, they numbered. And the Lord says, I'll make it as if you were fighting against one man. And in verse 17, Gideon replies, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. And don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. And he answered, I will stay here until you return. So God has just called Gideon to become the military leader that will lead the Israelites out of destruction and their sin because they had turned from God and back to the safety of the Lord. So here's Gideon, this conversation going on with the angel of the Lord. He's in utter shock and disbelief at what God has just called him, a, a mighty warrior. I imagine Gideon kind of doing something like this. Is he talking to me? Who? Um, this is just, to me, such a clear-cut example in Scripture of how differently God sees us versus the way we see ourselves. And so God sees this life that can be used to bring him glory, and Gideon's doing one of these, <laughs> looking behind his shoulder. Who's he talking to? Who's, he's not talking to me. That's not who I am. But Gideon needs a little reassurance because... The Israelites had turned their back on God for several years, and he needed that reassurance that God was calling him specifically for a purpose. So Gideon hurriedly goes home. This is continuing in chapter 6. He prepares the offering of food. Um, that it says a young goat, some broth, some bread. He puts it into a basket. He brings it to the angel of the Lord, um, just as, and as he has promised he is still there. And the angel proves that it really is the Lord speaking to Gideon by touching the offering with the staff in his hand and fire came out of a rock, a rosh, a rosh is my husband, a rock. Fire does come out of him sometimes. A rock. Now I can't move past this. Get it out, get it out. Come on, get it out. Come on everybody, that's right. <laughs> we needed that. You with me now? See, the Lord knew what you needed. The fire came out of the rock and engulfed it. And Gideon becomes afraid. And uh, he builds this altar to the Lord because the Lord had just reassured him that there's nothing to be afraid of. The Lord had said to Gideon, build this altar for, for I'm sorry, that Gideon had decided to build an altar to the Lord to honor that the Lord had met his request. 
And isn't that just like God to remind us that we really have nothing to fear in his presence, amen? Um, but just like, you know, so many of us, and I, I say this later, I, later on I was going to say that Gideon, I love Gideon because I see myself in him, you know. Gideon ends up asking God for a sign like this, not once, but two more times throughout the next two chapters. So it's not one of the stories where Gideon's like, all right, Lord, let's see proof. Come on, let's, oh, well, the Lord's convinced me. Walking, I'll walk confident in the Lord now forever and ever. Um, that's not what happens. And that's the place I live in. Sometimes the Lord really, really makes it clear that he is speaking to me and that his promise he's fulfilled, um, and he'll be faithful to those promises. Uh, but sometimes I need to go back to that drawing board and say, Lord, I'm facing another obstacle here that I really need to know that you are with me, and that you are speaking to me, and that you will be faithful to see me through it. So here's Gideon, um, verse 36 in the same chapter. I'm going to read 36 through 40. Then Gideon said to God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised. So God's still saying the same thing. I still chose you. I still want you to bring the, Midianite, or the Israelites to victory over the Midianites. And Gideon's uh, asking for proof again. If you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece out on the threshing floor tonight. And if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel, as you promised. Verse 38, and that's just what happened. When Gideon got up the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. <laughs> Anybody else seeing themselves? This is like a mirror here. I hope I'm not the only one. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that, so that night God did as Gideon asked. And the fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So, you know, for making it into the hall of faith, because remember we, we read Gideon in the list of, uh, the, of those of the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11. He made it in this hall of faith. You know, it's a pretty big honor. Uh, and it sure doesn't seem like Gideon has had a whole lot of faith to make it in there. Um, in fact, it looks like Gideon's obstacles have names that are fear and doubt. You know, anybody else relating to those obstacles named fear and doubt? Um, I know I've been there before. I know that they have been present in my lifetime and time again. But God has a plan for each of our lives, just as we get to read and see that plan follow through chapters 6 and 8 of Judges, we get to read, all, uh, read that and see it, see God's faithfulness all the way through it, um, even as Gideon's like this on his, his faith walk with the Lord. Um, but God has a plan for each of our lives. And like Gideon, he's going to use the obstacles that we think can stop us dead in our tracks as an opportunity to build our faith in him. Sometimes we can ask the Lord, we can ask God, like Gideon did, to build our faith in him. And sometimes, as we see, we're going to see later on, 
God's re God requests something of us to build our faith in him. Um, we read earlier that Gideon was kind of this self-described weakling. Uh, and there was that verse in, in 15, but now we find ourselves in verse 36. And do we really think that somehow Gideon became this macho guy, this strength? He viewed himself all that differently, you know, just 15, 20 verses further into the story. No, Gideon didn't. Gideon still knew who he was. He still knew his weaknesses. Um, but God asked Gideon to do what he needed him to do, not because of who Gideon was, but because of who God is. Amen? Amen. God told Gideon several times, either I am with you, or he said things like, I'm, I am the one sending you. Um, and Gideon needed to place his faith in God in order for God's plan to work out in his life. So God is using an opportunity to build his faith so that his plan for him can unfold. Um, and given the opportunity, I believe that God will do the same thing for each of us if we would allow him that opportunity in our lives this morning. He has a plan for your life, and there's no thing that is too great that God can't help us overcome. Amen? For Gideon, when he knew he was going to be facing obstacles, he kind of perceived them differently uh, if he felt that the Lord was not with him. Um, when we face obstacles and we feel that God's not with us, those obstacles sure do look a lot differently, and they affect us, and we respond to them a lot differently than we do when we feel like the Lord is with me. It's evident. It's clear to me. The Lord's with me. Our, our Attitude is different. Your faith is in the Lord rather than in other things. Um, and there's just, you, just different perspective. God's promise to Gideon was not that he'd remove the obstacles from in front of him. And oftentimes, isn't that just the way, what we really want? If you just remove the obstacles, Lord, then everything would just work out just fine. But that's not the point that the Lord is trying to make through Gideon's story. Um, and today, if there's those of us today facing obstacles, the absence of obstacles in your life is not the proof that God is with you. And we don't want to be mistaken by that. Um, but the fact that the Lord is with you is what makes all the difference when we face those obstacles. Amen. You know, sometimes I think about some of the decisions that, you know, I've made throughout my life, and I can pinpoint a couple times in which I, I felt, literally felt more confident in the Lord um, and not in myself because I knew that the Lord was with me. I think I can speak for both Arash and I, and yes, I meant Arash, not Iraq. <laughs> uh, sometimes I feel like I'm married to Iraq, just kidding. Um, <laughs> just kidding. You know, sometimes it's kind of fun to have the microphone, you know. Um, no, that's just kidding. But, you know, I think I speak for both of us when I say that, you know, the decision five years ago, going on six years now, to move out here to Delaware was one of those times we just had such a peace. Were there obstacles? Were there things we needed to figure out? Were there naysayers around us? Yes. Um, but there was just a confidence that the Lord had 
was in our decision and was going to see us through it, and he did. Um, and that's what made the difference for Gideon in the end as well. Um, he knew that God was with him because by chapter 8, where he, the, his story is kind of wrapping up and he, he gets that victory over the Midianites, Gideon leads the Israelites um, into victory and kills the Midians. And he's a judge over a peaceful land, it says, until his death. There's something else that occurs midway through chapter 6 and then again in chapter 7. Gideon had just asked God to prove that he was indeed called by God to leave his people out of the hands of these Midianites. And God was gracious to meet his request. We serve a God that is gracious, don't we? In his goodness and his grace, he reassured Gideon that he is not a God of mistakes. But midway through chapter 6, it, it flips. And this time, God is making a request of Gideon. You know, sometimes God asks things of us in order to build our faith. And he tells him to take 10 servants of his father's household and destroy the altars of the false gods um, because Israel had fallen into idol worship. And after the Lord had proved himself to Gideon, Gideon proves his faith in God. And then we read that after God asked him to destroy these altars um, to the false gods and prepare an uh, altar unto him, Gideon took his ten servants to do this job with him, but he took them at night, the scripture says, because he was still afraid. Um, there's that obstacle again. Now, he followed through with what God asked him to do, but that fear was still present. But look how the difference in response is. The obstacle, that fear, didn't stop him from doing what the Lord requested of him, um, but it was just still present. He, the Lord, he persevered through it, and he did what God asked him to do. And fear can be a very difficult obstacle to overcome. Amen. Um, but Gideon remained obedient to the word of God uh, and to the word of the Lord, and he successfully destroyed the altars of uh, idol worship, and he built one to God in its place. Then Gideon has a similar response to God's instruction later in chapter 7. God had just reduced Gideon's army from more than a capable large number, whatever that was, down to a handful of men that numbered 30. This is probably part of Gideon's story that if you have a little Bible background, uh, it's familiar. Um, so God shaves down Gideon's army. So here's Gideon, ready to follow through with what the Lord has asked him to do. And the Lord says, I need you and I need Israel to know that this victory is coming because I am with you. So he put, throws a few obstacles in Gideon's way, if we want to say it that way. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reduce the number of your army. And Gideon just watch, watches God shave it down to a couple thousand, then shave it down to just 300. And then he tells Gideon, all right, now go and win the battle. You ever thought God's plan was a little kooky? Then you start wondering, now this is where I would think, 
Lord, where's, I, I don't see that Gideon said, okay, Lord, I need you to fleece, do that fleece thing again, because I got to know this is you again. He didn't do that, although the scripture does say, say he was fearful, and the Lord knew it, and the Lord said, by the way, if you're afraid, get your servant and take your servant with you, and he does that. So he was obviously still afraid, but the Lord knew it, and um, he made a way so that Gideon was able to fulfill what God had asked him to do. So sometimes God does. He requires things of us to build, out of us to build our faith. And if we can be like Gideon and just see it through, even when it's a little kooky, when it doesn't make any sense, when it's counterintuitive, when it seems like it's a really bad idea, uh, God will see us through it, just as he did Gideon. Uh, I'm going to read chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. This is my last little chunk of scripture. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. So he's getting ready to, he's looking at what the Lord wants him to conquer. And it's a lot of armies. And that night, the Lord said, get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. And here it is. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you'll be greatly encouraged. Then you will be, your enemy, listen to what your enemy is saying, you'll be encouraged. Again, seems a little kooky. Then you'll be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pira and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. So what ends up happening is Gideon overhears his enemies saying, you know, I heard that the Lord is with Gideon and he is going to defeat us. And that's pretty encouraging. You know, I think I'd have confidence too if I knew that uh, uh, I was going to be able to overcome my obstacle just that easily. But that is indeed what happened. The Lord brought the victory to Gideon um, over his enemies in the end, just as he said that he would. E- even after all that God had proved to Gideon that he was with him, Gideon was fearful while trying to be obedient. Anybody ever tried that out? You're trying to be obedient, but you, mm, man, me too. Just that fear is still present. And I think that some people could really get annoyed with Gideon's story by this point because he just keeps needing that reassurance from God. Um, but like I said earlier, this is why I really like the story of Gideon because it's, it's much more of a mirror than some of the other characters in the Bible that just seem so confident and forward-moving and in faith all the time. Gideon lived in that realm, that real realm that a lot of us live in, that fear and that doubt, the obstacles that we see, the obstacles that God isn't necessarily removing. Um, And we find ourselves in a place just asking the Lord, Lord, just remind me one more time that you are with me and that these obstacles are, in fact, not going to be or destroy me, but that you are going to help me overcome them. Amen. He's trying to be obedient and faithful to the plan that God had for him through these bouts of fear and doubt. But if we really look at these obstacles the way God does, 
nothing, no obstacle can stand up against the Lord. I'm going to take us quickly to a scripture in Romans 8 and 38 that reminds us that no obstacle can stand up against the power of the Lord. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Read it with me if you want. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in our Christ, our Lord. And can everybody say it with me again, my scripture for this morning? But with God, all things are possible. Amen. Every one of us at one point or another has probably been a Gideon. God's called us to something or is calling us um, out of something, into something, uh, his plan for our lives. And, but all we can see are those obstacles before us. Um, just like the Henry Ford said, when we take our eyes off that goal, it falls to those scary obstacles. When we take our eyes off the Lord, the obstacles seem bigger than the power of the Lord in our lives. Gideon's story is one about obstacles, building faith, and God's grace. God was gracious to Gideon to meet his requests every time he asked, um, because God had a plan for him, and nothing was going to stop God from allowing Gideon to believe that an obstacle in his life was going to keep him from what God wanted him to do and what God asked him to do. If God asked us to do something... We can have the faith that the Lord is going to see us through it. Amen? So let's put our faith in the Lord today. Um, if today you believe that your sin is an obstacle between you and what the Lord has for you today, there is repentance in the Lord. Um, put your faith in God today. I guess what I'm saying here is try him out. Try him out, just like Gideon, Gideon did. For some of us today, like Gideon, the Lord might be calling you to something, but all you can see are these obstacles uh, ahead that makes it seem impossible. That's what an obstacle is. You're driving down the road. There's an obstacle in front of you. you got to change directions. You can't keep going that way. Um, and life can feel like that oftentimes, especially when God asks us to do kooky things, and you're like, well, that definitely seems impossible because that's just silly, you know. But the Lord will see you through it. Put your faith in the Lord today. Um, I was listening to Caleb, uh, you know, the Christian radio over the weekend, and there was a discussion about faith. I just happened to tune into, and someone said, put more faith in what you do know about God than what you don't know about the future. And I thought, well, that's a really good check. <laughs> That's a really good balance and exactly what we should, we should do. The future, we can't, don't waste your time. We can't know it. But we can know certain things about God. Let's put our faith in the things that we know about him this morning. His grace, his mercy, his love for us. Uh, he wants good things for us. He wants us to be victorious over our obstacles. 
I guess I'll ask the music to come. And I just want to open these altars this morning or in your seat if you can find a place. Um, some of us are facing obstacles or impossibilities that we really need the Lord to meet us at. He will be just as gracious to you as he was to Gideon. The Lord loves his people. He has good things planned for your life. But sometimes it requires you being obedient with your faith when it doesn't make sense. And sometimes it requires us asking the Lord, remind me that you're with me. Remind me that you're sending me. Remind me that you're going to bring me through this because I just don't see how it's going to happen. So this morning, if you can find a place and just talk to the Lord, it's as simple as that. Let him know that you're listening. Let him know that I'm trying to put my faith in you, Lord. I'm trying to be obedient to you, Lord. And watch him meet you where you are. He is the God of love, and he is the God that wants to see us be victorious in his name. Not for our glory, amen, but for his glory. Praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus.